Last Sunday, this would have been my first slide as well. And uh, when, when I was a student, I said last Sunday, in studying philosophy, um, some of the questions that Greek philosophy uh, asked was, why are people here? Why is the world here? Why is there anything at all? Why are we here today? And when Christian theology began to move into the Greek world, it tried to answer the question with the following, ad maiorem dei gloriam, for the greater glory of God. That's why we're here, for the greater glory of God. The whole creation is the theater of God's glory, and we're part of that theater and we are here to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Now, there's a lot of emphasis on praise and worship in churches these days. And, and we see all kinds of exponents of that. You go to different churches, people raise their hands, and you're very, very welcome to do it here. My wife is doing it regularly. You are all very welcome to do that. Sometimes I feel a bit embarrassed to do it, but we, we can worship with our bodies. Sometimes you go to a service like last Sunday where we have no music and just singing without any music, psalms. Emphasis on praise and worship has been part of the Christian church from very, very early. It's part of our response to the gospel of Jesus Christ in whatever form it comes. The prayer that we've read today consists of many elements, but two big elements stand out, namely praise and thanksgiving. And the praise of God is built on the greatness of God. We read there, praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. I'm sure that when you read these words, another prayer comes up in your mind. Something that we do quite regularly. The Lord's Prayer. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. And although this ending of the Lord's Prayer was not part of the original Lord's Prayer. Very soon in the early church, it became part of it based on this specific passage in Chronicles. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. Yours is the kingdom. 
Thanksgiving is the other element we find here. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this, referring to the gifts for the building of the temple? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. Many times I hear people saying, you know, how hard they work to build the, the hall up there. And then it becomes almost ours. Our hall. Our property. David says, far from it. Far from it. Whatever we have. What we have on the table, whatever we have, comes from the Lord. God is the source of all gifts. And at the same time, it is a confession of our total dependence upon God. When we stand before the Lord as King, who he is, we realize our dependence upon God. Paul speaks about it in 1 Corinthians. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? So thanksgiving and praise is part, are part of the parcel of our life before God. That's what we owe God, to thank Him and to praise Him. We are called ad maiorem Dei Gloriam, for the greater glory of God, not of ourselves. However, praise and thanksgiving, the focus on it that we sometimes have, can go wrong. There are two other aspects in this passage of our life before God which are inseparable from praise and thanksgiving. And if we miss that, and if we succumb to these temptations, we miss the sense of worship and praise here in the church. The first is trying to create heaven on earth with our praise and forgetting that we are foreigners and strangers. Very strange, within this massive song of praise, David goes on to say, we are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without, without hope. If we forget this context of our praise and thanksgiving, we miss a lot. 
This is a strange remark in the middle of this passage about praise and thanksgiving. This song is recorded while people had no land of their own. No property. No security of their own. The people who read this were people in exile, looking back on their history. And they had nothing. Their days on earth were like a shadow without hope. In our very nature, as human beings here today, we are resident aliens. We are just travelers on a journey to a final destination. When we speak about praise, there is one huge temptation to which we can easily succumb. And that is to think that we have heaven on earth here. In this regard, Martin Luther suspected the church of his time of a theology of glory. You'll probably not recognize this, but I've been at this cathedral quite a few times. This is the St. Isaac's Cathedral inside in Russia. Luther said that the Western Church, not this specific one, because this is part of the Eastern Church, but the church in general, their wealth, their beautiful cathedrals, their Gregorian hymns made them feel that God was with them and that they hardly needed anything more than this. And therefore, Martin Luther says, the church can never, Christians can never have a theology of glory as if they don't need anything more than here. We have a theology of the cross. We are not in hell or in heaven yet. We are on earth. And we can very easily lose sight of the kingdom of heaven that is still awaiting us. That there is a higher praise, a higher sense of God's presence. And in many Christian circles today, we stumble in this regard. We want to create something in our worship of heaven on earth. In which we want to see God face to face and transfer ourselves into a mood of wonderful warmth and experience of each other and of the Lord. By doing so, we very often close the windows and shut out the nasty, terrible world. We try to weather the storm of adversity and pain. Yes, we can despair. This is extremely dangerous, but we can also try to evade the hurt of this life by praise. David says, no, we praise the Lord in our pilgrimage. We are not dedicated to the Lord because we are doing well. Because we benefit from it. Because we have many things. We praise him just because he's God 
and sometimes we have to praise him from the depths of our foreignership. Therefore, we should always remember that what we do here in our praise and worship or any other church, it's never complete. Our worship is never complete. Our praise is never complete. We long for the day when it will be different. Our praise of God now is that we, will, that we trust that one day things will be different. In this world, we, we know Christ is present. Yes, he's, he's the one sitting at the right hand of the Father, as I said last week. But his will does not happen in all respects. His rule cannot be seen in all respects. We are, as the Christian tradition said, in a status via tourist in a state of being on the way. We praise God against the forces, against the struggles, against the hardship, in the midst of misery. Once the kingdom will come in its fullness, and therefore lament forms part of worship in our Christian life. It comes out quite clearly in Romans chapter 8 where, where Paul makes this long list of things that went wrong. Persecution, hardship, pain. I referred to it last Sunday. But just before that, he speaks about this amazing thing that there are three groaning things in life. Groaning that things will be different. The first is creation, he says, has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And what about us then? We who have received the Spirit of God, does that put us on the crest of the wave all the time? He says, no, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. The Spirit of God then, he says, takes our groaning and brings it before God. Praise groaning on the road of pilgrimage. It's part of our Christian life. And therefore, we don't look for a theology of glory, each one of us in our personal lives, but for for a theology of the cross in which we give ourselves away, in which we live also in hope 
and expectation. David says, we are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow, without hope, in the midst of this praise and worship. We praise as strangers and foreigners. We know that our Lord's kingdom will come. Nero and Hitler and all those dictatorships are gone. But ours will come because our Lord is on the throne. And therefore, we praise with hope. Real Christian praise and worship is born from the depths, from this situation of being a foreigner and stranger in this world. The second thing, second temptation, is that we can separate the praise of words from a life of praise. It also comes in this section, verse 17 to 19, he says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep your heart their hearts loyal to you and give my son solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands statutes and decrees that the people served the lord with their giving made david very happy but this prayer is that the Lord would continue to cultivate this attitude in their lives. At the heart of the Christian life is the combination of praise and prayer and life every day. In the old church, there was this principle to keep these things together. And you'll see it in the blue there. Lex orandi, lex credendi, lex vivendi or convivendi. Lex means law or rule. And they kept it together. The law of prayer, the law of faith, the law of life and life together should be kept together. It, it simply means the way that you pray and praise should be the way that you believe and think, should be the way that you live before God. You cannot take these things apart. The rule of our prayer and praise should be the rule of our thoughts, our values, our ideas, the way we work, the way we think about ourselves and others. Perhaps the most dangerous temptation is when we do not remember this context of praise and worship. Throughout history, there are three essential aspects always belonging together. 
our personal relationship with God, this praise, this glorifying God, our shared fellowship with God and one another, and a practical life of faith, those things cannot be separated from one another. And we find it in the Bible all over. Amos chapter 5, away with the noise of your songs, your praise. I will not listen to your music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Cannot be separated. We find it in Isaiah chapter 1, Jeremiah 7, Isaiah 58. In the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, if you come and worship and you find there's something wrong, that your brother has something against you, leave it and go and make peace. Because these things belong together. And James says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. And uh, with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Yes, thanksgiving and praise are part and parcel of our life before God. That's what we owe the Lord. But these are the temptations that we take it out of the context that we're foreigners and strangers, that we don't have, have heaven on earth yet. And therefore, we groan in our praise that things will be different and separating our praise in worst from a life of praise. Here, throughout this beautiful prayer of David, we find an attitude, an attitude of total dependence upon God. What we have, we receive from you. What we shall be, Lord, depends on you. David asked that God would work faithfulness and sincerity in their hearts of praising, in their hearts of thanksgiving, so that their life will be in line with God's will. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, nobody can say yes to God's path while saying no to his promises and commandments. We praise God in our songs and hymns. We thank him for what he provided. But we also praise God in anticipation because we anticipate the day when the Lord's kingdom will be confirmed, something that is not always visible here. All of this only makes sense if we say yes with our lives to his kingdom 
his will, his name, when we live in the integrity. When the praise of God here on a Sunday permeates our lives. I want to close. There was an impressive candlelight service once at a youth conference. Each participant lighted a candle and then proceed silently out of the church. It was a very emotional movement, deeply moved many people. But as soon as they went outdoors, something went wrong. There was a strong wind that was blowing and the candles flickered and went out. They tried to relight them but there was confusion and the whole effect of the impressive service was defeated. You see, here we can come together and praise and worship the Lord. But what really matters is when we go out, when the wind blows, when the storms come, there we learn that praise comes from the depths, from the pain. And there we anticipate with the world in suffering what God can do and what he will do. But there also we learn that our praise here has no sense if it does not become praise and worship in our daily lives. May God help us to keep this context together. At Majorem Dei Gloriam, that's why we are here, for the greater glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for what you have done for us. We praise you for your greatness and glory. But we ask, Lord, that you would teach us what true, pra true praise is. That we will go out into this world where there are storms and be people of praise and groaning for more justice, for more peace, for more righteousness, for the greater glory of God. That we will do it in hope and Lord that you would fill us with a total devotion, a love for you in our daily lives so that the praise here and the praise outside this, these walls will be the same. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let us serve the Lord with our offerings now. If you want to prepare for next Sunday, it's from Psalm 119, not the whole psalm, uh, but but some parts of it. So it's it's it's. Uh, easy to read through this week so uh, that's the focus next next Sunday Let's bow our heads together. Father, we once again thank you for what you have given to us. We thank you that you are a good God, that you provide in our needs. And we remember those who do not have what we have. And we ask for your forgiveness that we sometimes complain while we have everything. We ask, Lord, that you would use the gifts that we brought today in your service and for the building of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.